the Triathlon Show 305. Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and on today's episode I interview Dr. Chris Myers. Chris is an endurance sports coach and co-author of the book Triathlon Training with Power, which is soon to be released if you listen to this episode as it comes out. And if you listen a few days later, you'll probably already be readily available. This book brings together training with a power meter in not just cycling that a lot of us are already used to since quite a long time, but in swimming and running as well. And we will discuss a number of topics here today, ranging from equipment, use cases, training tips, and so on and so forth. I will link in the show notes and the episode description to the book, which, as I said, is available for pre-order now for a few more, more days. And from October 1st of 2021, it should be released and available fully. But before we get into the interview with Chris, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration. Precision Hydration create electrolyte products that you can match to how you sweat and Precision Fuel products that makes it easy to hit your numbers. They also provide a fantastic amount of information on their blog, in their newsletter and in interviews I've done on the podcast with founder Andy Blow on topics such as how to fuel and hydrate to optimize performance in long races, in hot or humid conditions, how to avoid cramping, how much energy to consume and more. There are some great free tools on the Precision Hydration website like the online sweat test, the quick carb calculator and you can even book a free one-on-one consultation with an expert from the team. Use the promo code DATTRIATHLONSHOW15 to get 15% off your first order on precisionhydration.com. And thank you to Roka. Roka produces exceptional quality triathlon wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, performance sunglasses, as well as prescription eyeglasses and sunglasses. If you want to go faster in the water or on the bike, a Roka wetsuit or trisuit might be for you. Or if you just want to have a more comfortable, functional and stylish pair of eyeglasses, then look to that eyewear range. Let's talk briefly about the Gen 2 Elite Aero Trisuit, which is Roka's trisuit model. This suit was developed and perfected with based on wind tunnel testing and real world testing on the road as well as in the water it is designed to provide the optimal balance of aerodynamics function and comfort from sprint to full distance triathlons and just like the roca wetsuits it comes with arms up technology for maximum mobility when swimming so it won't constrain your swimming even one little bit visit roca.com forward slash tts for 20 percent off your entire order now without any further ado let's get into the interview with chris myers Welcome to That Triathlon Show, Chris. How are you doing? Doing well. How are you doing, Mike? Doing very well. Thank you. Uh, can we start by you giving us an introduction to yourself? Uh, it's been a while since you've been on the show before, and we have plenty of new listeners, so so it's uh, worth uh, getting a little bit of, a, of an introduction here. Definitely. Uh, yeah, so I'm Dr. Chris Myers. Uh, I'm a master coach with Peaks Coaching Group. I'm also the lead triathlon coach uh, for Peaks as well. Um, if you don't know, Peaks Coaching Group is run by Hunter Allen, who wrote, you know, uh, Cycling with Power many years ago with Dr. Coggin. Uh, same gentleman there. Um, worked with him for years. Uh, at right now, I'm in Germany, and I'm the Human Performance uh, Optimization Program Coordinator for uh, United States Air Force Europe uh, Tactical Operations, uh, or TAC, excuse me, uh, the TACPs out here. And so I do that during the day, and I coach triathlon by night. All right. And uh, you are about, or as this episode goes out, your book will already be released. You have written a new book. So can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. So um, we a couple of years ago, I was approached with someone to say, hey, you know a lot about triathlon. Why don't you write a book? <laughs> um, and it's kind of hard, right? Because there's a lot of books out there, a lot of great books. You know, Frill has got the coaching Bible. Um, you just name it. A lot of the big names out there. But the one thing that was missing is the application of power to all three sports. And it's only until recently that we now start having devices or technologies caught up to have power in swimming, biking, and running. And, and that's the goal of the book is bringing power theory, theory to all three sports in a way that 
anyone can pick up the book and start utilizing it, understanding why to use it, how to use it, and more importantly, the analytics that go with it to help improve your training program. Yeah. So so the way that I understand this is that uh, you mentioned there Hunter Allen and Andrew Coggins uh, training mm-hmm. racing with a power meter. This is almost like the triathlon version of that book. What, uh, what that book was for cycling, this book might be for triathlon. That is correct. Um, and honestly, uh, I co-wrote the book with Hunter. Um, so you'll get a whole new bike chapter uh, written by Hunter Allen himself. Right. Great. Uh, so I think that we might just dig into uh, some topics here yeah. on a sort of discipline by discipline basis. So so let's start with the mm-hmm. swim. Uh, how how yeah. do we measure power in the swim? Well, you know, honestly, that is still an emerging area. Um, so there's two on the market right now. There's two ways you have it in the water and on land. Uh, on land, the best, you know, the best way is with the Vasa trainer. That's really the only one out there at this point. Um, and the Vasa, the Vasa trainer is a swimming ergometer. So if you imagine yourself on a rowing machine, just swimming. Um, and so it's the same concept, but it has a built-in power meter and it gives you um, your wattage and left and right power balance. Uh, so you can see if your right arm is pulling better than the left or what your efficiency numbers, stuff like that. Now in the water, there's not a power meter per se, but there's a force meter. And that is, that's the smart paddle produced by train sense. And I, I say it's a force meter because there is a distinct difference between a power meter and a force meter. But it, it was just a little bit of mathematics. You get to the same end state of watts if you want to get into power. But uh, the smart paddle is a force meter that allows you to see the force you generate as your arm goes through the five phases, at least in the front quadrant, right? Uh, the five phases of the stroke cycle as it's going through the water and through the air. And then you're also able to track based on the direction of the forces that the means. You can look at the arm direction from the X, Y, and Z axes without even being there. So, for example, if I if I were to have you throw on these paddles, Mike, and go into your pool, it, you know, though we're a couple of countries away, I could actually see you know the force that you're generating and how your arm is tracking through the water. Yeah, no, I have actually used uh, that smart pedal mm-hmm. a couple of times, uh, but uh, yeah, it's been a couple of years since last time. So, I'm, and mm-hmm. this uh, this product has come up in a fairly recent interview before as well. So, mm-hmm. I actually been thinking about it quite a bit recently. That uh, just personally, it would be cool to test it again yeah. and uh, see how it's maybe evolved since last time I used it, but also definitely for uh, for coaching purposes. So, yeah, why don't you tell me a bit more about that? smart pedal and how, are you using it in uh, coaching somehow are you getting your athletes to use it or what yeah i am so yeah so what i do is i will ship this to my clients in the states or here in germany um and so each package comes with a uh with two paddles what they do is they're they're very small they just sit on the tips of the fingers so you have two little paddles i mean again they're not very big, um, and they're they're blue they're Bluetooth technology, so they link directly to your phone. Uh, at this point, they don't connect to uh, the Garmin, and I don't know if they're going to in the future or not. But um, knowing where thing goes, it's going to link up to a watch somehow, some way. But you have a band; it just sits over your two fingers like this. It's very small, and if you look right here on the white right here, this is where the water flows through. And that, and inside here is where that force meter is. And so it's able to read the flow of the water and that's how it's able to uh, force. And then, so every time you come back to the phone and it reads out of the water, it does, it does a data dump to the phone. So it's almost real time data. So if you're, if I was on the deck with you and you're swimming with these, I could have my tablet up and every time you came by me and your water hand came out of the water or you come back to the edge to take a rest i can do an instant data pool of what it is and i and i can review your power metrics right then and there uh given the uh algorithms and the the da- the dashboard that uh train sense provides yeah that's already an uh evolution compared to when i last used it because mm-hmm. i don't think that it had that every time your hand is out of the water data dump you had to yep. specifically sync it i believe at that point but i know that yeah the i think it's been corrected yeah. um so 
but yeah, um, but for me, I typically, uh, what I do is I'll send these to my clients. If we think there's something going on and they don't have access to an actual swim coach, um, of course. So we send this to them and I'm able to get uh, biomechanical feedback based off, uh, based off these, uh, these force meters and we're able to do stroke correction. Yeah. So, uh, so tell us a bit more about that. What might be some things that you, you can see when, when you get that data from, from your clients? Yeah. Yeah. So you can see, so if you're doing, if you're swimming like this and you, you can get a good side view, you can see how the arm tracks and having an understanding on how looking at how the, uh, the high elbow pool is when you're pulling and pushing through, you can see the force curve as you go through the um, the two to five o'clock position. It you typically when you have a high elbow, you see a, a significant increase in the force versus someone who straight arms through. It's more of a smaller plateau, and so by understanding the different force curves, you can understand how that person is tracking through the water, and you can start working on increasing that force generation with the catch so so is it the the force generation or is it the the specifically the horizontal component of the force or the sort of forward propelling component uh it's it's actually it's one and the same so when you look at the way the physics of um swimming is the it the force is always changing as the water goes as your hand tracks the water right so you got force going one way and you got drag going perpendicular to it. And that's actually what causes the forward propulsion. Yes, but but what I mean is when, when we're talking about the force curve and mm-hmm. uh, you because you can apply force pushing da- straight down towards the bottom of the pool mm-hmm. or pushing pushing down towards the the wall that you just came yeah. from. So so yeah. so do you so you do you separate that out into the different components of force? And also no. monitor the, the total force. Yeah, it, it's total force. So you can't look at the different angles of attack of the hand. That that is a limitation. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's um, but you can indirectly see that once you once you look at how the arm tracks the water through the different uh, through the different uh, vortices, not excuse me, uh, indices, and you can you can discern that um, but it does take a little bit of time understanding how your um, client swims right especially if you don't have the camera right there to really see what's going on yeah so 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 when when it comes to then improving that force or, or first of all how big of a limitation might that force or that power be for for athletes because swimming is such a technical sport that mm-hmm. generally it is kind of understood that a lot of athletes are not necessarily limited or at least not primarily limited by the physical capacity uh, mm-hmm. to produce force, but more so by their, they produce too much drag. So, so they don't mm-hmm. move quickly through the water. How, how does this help you uh, overcome that problem? Yeah. So it, what it, Looking at early uh, fluid dynamic research, uh, excuse me, computational fluid modeling, uh, Toussaint was one of the big ones in the late 80s and early 90s. Uh, They showed that 80% of the force uh, forces generated between the hand and the forearm, right? And so with that's where the advent of the high elbow came from, being able to maximize that surface area. So being able to look at a way to maximize that surface area, you can increase propulsion or increase your force generation which could inadvertently increase your force propulsion now that is assuming that you don't have a lot of drag from you know being a hip dragger like i am <laughs> going through like this so yeah yeah definitely you have to work on keeping yourself you know as parallel to this top of the water as possible but you know it, any just in right now we're just talking about fixing and working on the front quadrant of the swim stroke you know we're kind of taking the the back half out of the equation at this point with uh this force meter now who knows and uh there's actually there's been in um in in the past i i haven't seen it for a few years but uh there are a few researchers that few researchers that were using accelerometers 
uh, to look at force both at the hips and the uh, knees and ankles. Um, I never, I don't know whatever happened to that system, but something like that would give you a total body uh, force generation and you can take into account total body drag. And ultimately that's where we want. But at the same time, you have to look at the most of us age group, age group triathletes is for one, can we afford it? And two, do we really want to spend an hour strapping on sensors <laughs> <laughs> uh, to get all this information. Mm, yeah. So uh, how, how how big a difference do you see with uh, in the, the data that you get from your clients from, a, let's say, a good swimmer to a not as good swimmer? Like, is, is it in the... You're, are you saying that the difference is in the, the shape of the force curve and the, when, when the force is applied and, and how big the magnitude is yeah. or is it more so the the magnitude itself is is a, a lot higher in the really good swimmers i mean yeah it naturally there's going to be a higher magnitude um but for me i look more at the shape of the curve right is how quickly does it rise up and trail off right okay yeah you know, and because, uh, if, it, if, it, if it rises up quickly that indicates that you get into that high elbow position uh straight away mm -hmm. and you're right. efficient at propelling yourself forward right got it uh great and uh what about the the vasa trainer then as as you mentioned uh now of course uh there has been mm -hmm. a time when a lot of people have not have access to pools so it has been a great yeah. tool for uh for athletes uh is, is it something that even before the pandemic before pool closures you were using mm -hmm. with your with your clients or recommending to to get that specifically for uh, complementing their swim training yeah i mean if <sighs> Yeah, it's, again, it's one of those items. It's, it's cost versus benefit, right? Um, uh, again, they're yeah, they're a great item, and there's a couple of different versions of the Voss trainer out there. But the one with the power meter um, does cost about twenty, uh, anywhere between nineteen hundred and twenty five hundred dollars, if I'm if I'm correct. Um, so it's definitely a significant investment, but it is one of those investments where it's a big return on your money because what happens is it gives you that tactile feedback on working through the extension, catch, push, and pull phase of the, uh, the freestyle swim stroke, but you can even use it for fly back and, uh, free as well. Um, but so besides having that tactile feedback, which is definitely hard to do in the water, what it does is it's an actual power meter and you can sync that directly to any smartwatch. Um, I use my Garmin 530 quite a bit to sync up to it and I can download that power data and utilize either the training peaks native uh, functions or export it into WKO. And that's what we did for the book. We, sh we created charts and stuff which are available upon requests um, on how to look at the power um, from a from a swimming workout you can get left and right power balance uh you can look at uh stroke rate uh you can break it all different down same way that we do with a with a bike power meter mm. and and when you use the vasa trainer and you measure power mm. uh, is that uh, specific to the horizontal component of power the forward pro uh, propulsive component or is it just overall if you see what i mean it's over yeah it's overall um, so the way it works is um, you've got two paddles connected to each hand. So it's essentially if you take your uh, swimming paddles that we do for uh, our swimming drills in the water, you tether them to a uh, to a, almost a turbine, and then that resistance that's how it measures power. Hmm. Um, very similar as a as a rower. So yeah. it's overall for each arm. Is, is there a risk of uh, in an athlete's eagerness to just maximize power that they kind of try to cheat the machine and uh, and like try and not get into that that high elbow catch and just try to to power power through the movement yeah. and and not do it with uh, with a good technique? Oh, definitely yes. I mean, you can go through and just swim. You know, and I, I work with people quite a bit where. Again, they get in there and they just, you know, they straight arm through because you're laying down. It's such a, at first, it's an awkward uh, position to be in because when we swim, we're used to be able to rotate our hips, come through. Um, but the way I teach it, you know, especially with uh, beginners, is you don't, you can't rotate on your hips. So don't do the recovery portion of the swim stroke because you're going to put a lot of tension and a lot of strain on the real deltoids in the upper back. 
And that could potentially lead to a shoulder injury or overuse injury, right? So I teach them just, it's pretty much um, advanced, I, I always call it advanced sculling um, because you just work the, ex- the extension, the catch, push and pull, and then you bring it right back up. Yep. Yep. So, so if an athlete has the varsity trainer, and but they also have access to the pool, uh, let with full access to the pool as much mm-hmm. as they want. What is your ideal recommendation for how to uh, combine those two uh, components in their training? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's so you, you you can treat it more or less as resistance training, right? So two three days per week, um, yeah, fix it in. I know, and I've seen swim coaches put it in five days a week. You know, they'll do the normal swim practice, then they'll do a couple of strength sessions after the swim practice, or even in between. Um, you know, but because a lot of us are time crunched you know, uh, per se, so I, you know, I usually kind of limit it to you know twenty minutes twice a week. Hmm. You can get a solid solid workout for just twenty minutes on this uh, on this machine. Yeah. As a matter of fact, today at lunch, um, I just did my I did my swim workout today. I, again, I don't have access to a pool here in Germany where we're at. Um, I I did twenty five hundred meters on, on on my Vasa at the office, and it took me about thirty eight. Uh, took me about forty two minutes with it all said and done, in and out, changed, and back to work. Mm, right, and my uh, back is sore. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so so to to wrap up the swimming part mm-hmm. of this interview. What would you say for listeners is your takeaways, your advice regarding Mm -hmm. using swimming power to inform and improve their training? Definitely. So swimming with power is still, still very much in its infancy. Um, What we've done in the book is I've applied cycling power, you know, the theory of cycling, you know, power to swimming. Now, I've done I've done uh, pilot studies in my lab uh, with this and such. Uh, we were unable to finish the research with um, due to COVID and everything, right? But this is the same procedures that I've used with my my clients and so forth. And what we're finding is the theory is applicable. Now, what I'm hoping is it generates the conversation with this, and because it's such an emerging emerging technology, we have to start someplace. And what I do is I ask is go into it with an open mind and let's just, let's have the conversation and go from there. Mm, great. Uh, let's move on to cycling. And I think we mm-hmm. can keep this one a little bit shorter because it, we have discussed that a lot in many previous episodes. So, and I think a lot of listeners <laughs> yeah. are very familiar with it already, but I have a couple mm-hmm. of questions that I want your take on. And and the Definitely. first one is, what are you doing differently now compared to, let's say, five years ago uh, when it comes to coaching and training with cycling power? Mm-hmm. So what has evolved in the last five years? Well, definitely um, the different types of power meters. Just even five years ago, there was, oh, shoot, I would say maybe five or six companies out there. Now there's well over 25 different types of power meters on the market. You got uh, crank based, uh, you've got pedal based, you've got, um, spindle based. Uh, we are losing the hub based, um, just due you know, to power tap, uh, kind of being bought out, but that's the big ones. And also the price on power meters has gone down significantly. Um, you know, before, you know, SRM big, still leading industry provider. I remember when they, were about two thousand dollars. They've come down half that price now, with better technology, better uh, life, um, battery life, stuff like that. But we are now getting left and right, true left and right power balance. So we can see it used to be an omnibus type of power output uh, where they just measured the overall. Now you can look at the differences between your right leg and left leg. So, for example, on my tarmac behind me. I've got the P2 power pedals on it. So I can see what my right foot generates versus my left foot. And you combine those together. That's when you get your total power output. But so from there, we can see dead spots. We can see, you know, where, how much force you're, how much power you're generating on the down and the upstroke as well versus between each leg. And so we get, so I guess better to answer it is 
the way we coach, way I coach it now versus five years ago is more on the analytics side because the training theory really hasn't changed too much. We've had some differences uh, depending on who you talk to. You know, d- you know, a couple years ago you had those standard Andy Coggin levels. Now you have the possibility of the individualized Andy Coggin levels. Uh, USA Triathlon has, the, or excuse me, USA Cycling has their own levels. You know, but they're all relatively the same. Um, but it, the big difference is on the analytics, especially with the advent of WKO four and five, and um, some of the other platforms like Final Surge, um, Golden Cheetah, and stuff like that. Do you think the left and right balance and uh, different cycling dynamics metrics are uh, actionable? Like, can you look at them and say, okay, we have a weakness here, and uh, we mm-hmm. can improve it in a certain way? Uh, can you give an example of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for example, um, let's say you're, you're doing your FTP test, you're, you're doing your 20 minute FTP test. And we see that your left leg is producing 55% of your force of your power versus the right leg is producing 45%. So, you know, of course there is a variation, right? Where I typically keep it within a, a 3%, um, plus or minus of each other, but that's a 5%. Right. So we definitely have an imbalance. And so that's an, in my opinion, that's an efficiency issue. And so what we need to work on is how do we even out that power output? One of the most common ways to do that is, um, you know, is single leg drills. That's the first one that comes to everyone's mind. But I offer, you know, we need to look a little bit deeper in that. We need to look at the pedaling mechanics. Um, is there any mobility limitations um, with that person? Is the bike fitted properly? Um, you know, just little things like that. So what it does is it gives us, okay, it gives us a check saying, okay, something's not right. And then, so we start from, I would say, work from the bottom up, you know, from where the foot connects to the pedal and then just check everything on the way up to see if you can identify the problem. Yep. Uh, got it. And, uh, can you give one piece of advice regarding training with power that you think most listeners might not know? Oh, that's a good one. Um, listen to your coach. Now, um, <laughs> wow, that is a really good one. Um, I would honestly say go back and look at your data. You know, take, take a few minutes and look at the data and see how you're performing on your key workouts because that will give you insight if you're improving or not. Got it. And... Uh, I want to come back to the dual-sided power meters a mm-hmm. little bit, the left-right imbalances. Uh, actually, mm-hmm. you, you already answered one of my follow-up follow questions, which was at, at what what is the threshold for where you think there actually is an imbalance? Mm-hmm. And you said plus minus 3%. So, so if we have 47, 53, yeah. that's okay. 48, 42, that's yeah. okay. Uh, and, but the other thing that I want to ask is because dual-sided power meters are more expensive than single-sided power meters. Mm-hmm. So it is a, 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 an affordable way, a cost-effective way to get into training with cycling power to buy a single-sided power meter. Mm-hmm. What do you think uh, is the – how important do you think it is to, to have that dual-sided data uh, when, when we consider the, the added cost of getting that power meter compared to a single-sided one? Yeah. I mean, that goes back to your needs analysis, right? It's really, what are your goals as an athlete? And honestly, how much money do you have to spend, right? I mean, we can go broke all day long with all of our gadgets and such. Um, You just got to figure out what you need uh, to become better um, versus your wants. That's my opinion. Um, And that's the conversation I have. Um, I I just had this conversation uh, with one of my younger clients uh, two weeks ago who would you know, the, she was getting into uh, moving out of the heart rate into power because she's getting more and more serious about it. And so we had that conversation is, okay, we need to at least get you into power. We can dial in your training zones a lot better than we can with heart rate because we know all the variations with heart rate that go into that. Um, but, you know, how much, you know, how much you have to spend? Okay, well, if you, you know, things are tight right now, but you have just a little bit of extra, this is where you may want to look. But if you have, you know, you want to get a little more into it and look, get deeper into the left and right balances, some of the ish, some of the advanced metrics you can get with left and right balance, then it's going to cost you X, Y, and Z. 
And but this is what opens up for you. And basically just lay it all on the table, do your do your cost analysis versus your needs and your wants and make your decision from there. Right. And uh so I have a sort of pet theory uh of mine, mm-hmm. but maybe you might want to call it a hot take, uh which is that yeah. sometimes or uh, a lot of athletes uh, tend to get a bit too fixa- fixated on power on the bike. Uh, yeah. to the degree that they are missing out on benefits from, for example, training with heart rate, even training mm-hmm. with speed. Like at the end of the day, we yep. train to go the fastest from point A to B, uh, possibly mm-hmm. with a run after that, <laughs> if we are a triathlete. But still, yeah. uh, do you think that that is uh, an issue and that athletes sometimes need to take a step back and be a bit more holistic and, and not see power as the be all end all? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, you know what, what are you going to do if your battery dies in the middle of a race? Uh, you know, so. You know, being able to ride, run, or swim by feel is definitely very important. Um, some of the best athletes I've coached were very in tune with their bodies, and they know their are their rate of perceived exertion was spot on. And so, and way we I usually work that is, hey, we st- we'll still record the data, right? But you can do one of two things: turn that data field off, or just take that Garmin or whatever you got, throw it in your back pocket, start it, and just go have fun. And look at it later. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think a, recording the data is always really, really yeah. like preferable. Like you want as much data as you can have, but uh, yeah. but you don't always need to uh, follow it blindly or follow a prescription blindly. Yeah. Um, and and for me, and kind of caveat on that, just real quick. Uh, the other thing I always like to try to look at is try to gather um, power with heart rate. Right, heart rate. It's still a very powerful metric, uh, but for me, it's more of a secondary metric because again, you have cardiac drift, you have those, you know, you have those uh, environmental interactions that can affect different heart rates. But it's good to know, see how you react in certain conditions, cardio, you know, via the cardiovascular measurement. Um, but it's also good to know like what your threshold heart rate is, and so if you're doing a time trial effort for let's say you're doing an Olympic distance, you want to push as close up to your threshold as you can, but you don't want to cross it. One way to do that is also to look at your heart rate because eventually it's going to start drifting, right? And so maybe at that point, you need to start backing off your power a little bit to bring the heart rate back down because something's, again, something's going on, something's affecting um, your, your cardiovascular system some way, somehow. Yeah, no, I think that racing is actually a great example of when heart rate can uh, can often be actually better than power because heart rate is different. Well, power is different depending on how fresh you are for an A versus B versus C race and so on. You, but heart rate, if you have a, a significant amount of race experience, then you know that okay, I generally can't ex- uh, can't. Uh, it can't do more than whatever heart rate for, let's say, an Olympic distance bike. So, so if you're five beats per minute above that, then it's unlikely that you will have a good uh, have a good race and or even be able to uh, to sustain that that heart rate. So, I actually use use heart rate quite a bit in race prescription uh, for for my athletes. Right, and you know, this is an interesting uh, conversation I had with Ryan Bolton uh, last year. Uh, one of the things that uh, he mentioned to kind of look at is especially coming out of sort of like iron distance and stuff, or as you're coming into like the final kilometers of the bike leg is actually kind of kick up your heart rate a few beats, right. To get ready for that increased load of the run. It helps make that T2 a little bit easier. And that was an interesting take and it. It works very well. Yeah. Yep. Uh, all right, so let's move on to to running, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, just start by telling us uh, what does running power mean? What are we measuring when we're measuring running power? This is a bit uh, controversial, I guess, a little bit. Or it is. <laughs> um, so there's a couple. Uh, so power is work divided by time. Yeah, in physics, power P equals work divided by time. Joules and per second. Because there's a. Yep. Exactly. So there's a time component with it. So it's then when you break out work, it's then you got to break it out into the force equation, right? So at least in cycling, force equals, excuse me, uh, power equals force times cadence. That's what it is. Running is slightly different. Cycling uh, in running, it's F equals MA. Force equals mass times acceleration. 
And so your running power meters tend to be more accelerometers, uh, accelerometer based versus, um, you know, pure force based like our the swimming and the bike power meters are. And that's why it's important, for example, with your stride, to always keep your body weight consistent up to date into it because that it affects the uh the f equals ma equation oh yeah so just 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 chiming in just chiming in here when you say stride for if listeners are not aware that's the the main running power meter company out there yeah you got um you've got run scribe as well um those are the two big ones um and the and there's a key difference between the two as as well because again stride is a single power meter uh run scribe is a dual sided so you have one on your left foot one on your right foot Mm. Um, and again, it, it goes back to that same uh, question you had, you know, one, you know, single sided versus the tool, dual side, same, same principles apply what we just had on the cycling section. Yeah. Okay. So, so coming back to the, what running power means, it's, um, mm-hmm. yeah, um, force equals mass times acceleration in that when we look at the force component, then goes into the work per second. Uh, yeah. Can mm-hmm. you, can you continue on? with uh with that so yeah keeping the the body weight accurate is important to get an accurate reading of force of course and uh yeah so when you yeah so when you put in your power equation so you substitute work with um for you know mass times acceleration then you divide it by you know your time component uh your time component right so you can actually multiply it by your stride rate and so that's how you get running power yeah and is it can we call it uh because just the way the stride works it does a lot of mm-hmm. calculations right so uh, and i guess the 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 real the really the real difficulty here is the that the acceleration part is caused by both applying force into the ground but also by the the elastic energy component that you mm-hmm. get sort of from from the recoil and the stored energy in the uh in the achilles tendon when you uh when you when you hit the ground and then then uh, uh reapply that energy for free so to say into the ground so so when it comes to the stride for example how real is the power or and and, and does it correspond to mechanical power or metabolic power what, what are we talking about in your opinion i think the jury's still out on that um i I'm actually going to have to kind of urge that question to go towards the R and D folks of either Runscribe or Stride on that one, um, because that is one of those. Um, it's that's one of those pieces of information that I think is more proprietary, um, and so I don't have an exact answer on that one. All right. Yeah. Um, that. Uh, so let's move on to. Uh, well, one actually, one more uh, question on oh. that. Are yeah. are the different running powers? So Runscribe, Stride, even Garmin have their own running power estimation. Mm-hmm. Are they comparable? Is there any standardization, or or should we consider each of them their own entity and not comparable with each other? You know, um, you know, I would have to get back to you on that one. Um, I do want to say, actually, I can say that there's been a couple of studies out there that have shown that the Runscribe and Stride are comparable. Now, with the uh, the Garmin, I don't think so because um, I think that's more of an indirect calculation, if I remember correctly. Um, if I've seen it, I, I've looked on it. They have their IQ app on here. That's based off. It's more of an estimate of your arm swing and GPS calculations and such. Yeah. So I think it might. I think it might use the heart rate monitor, the the yeah. HRM try, which mm-hmm. also calculates their running dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. So that's definitely different, um, different points of measurement. So it's definitely different. Um, I would say the Garmin, you cannot, I would not compare it directly with the stride of the run scribe. So if I had someone that had was using the, the Garmin at one point, let's say on Tuesday and using the stride on Wednesday, right. It would, they would have to have different power zones because they're measured differently and they're measured at different points. Uh, it's the same thing with, um, looking at the p2s versus the kicker right i would venture to say there's definitely differences in the power outputs uh, but that's because that's where the that's where they're measured that's the key differences is the point of measurement so you have that 
and I kind of want to rope back around to the previous question. We were talking about, at least from the metric standpoint, for an analytical standpoint, you have you talked about this the elasticity, right? So you have the uh, the leg spring stiffness uh, calculation metric that you get from Stride, and um, you also have uh, G's that are that are measured by RunScribe, right? So interestingly enough. Um, you have two component. You have a couple of different components when you look at running. You have you got your your you got your G curve essentially, right? So you have your impact G's, which is kind of the length of the entire curve, and then you have the break, which is the the height of the curve, right? So you have these two different uh, horizontal and vertical components, and they they range anywhere between four and thirteen G's, um, depending on which source you're looking at. And so if you have a higher end, you know, a higher G, you know, say on the impact, you're more, you're more prone to a certain type of um, joint, injury, in, in, joint injury versus with the impact with the breaking Gs, which again, if that's higher, you tend to see more knee injuries with that as well. So again, there's this kind of a sweet spot between the two. But with the run scribe, even though you measured the Gs, um, I haven't looked at it in at least in about a year, you didn't really have the 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 le- the LSS metric or the uh, leg spring stiffness, which you had that with um, with the stride as well, and where they're comparing uh, the the um, the not the elasticity but the malleability of the muscle to like a spring, which is what you're yeah. saying. And as you get more and more fatigue, the stiffer and stiffer you get, thus that number increases over time. And so you're think you're if you follow that on a race, you're seeing that you're accumulating fatigue and you're starting, your form starting to suffer. That's kind of the thought process between those two. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know because I haven't really looked into this in detail, mm-hmm. but I, uh, it's just that with, um, with this being calculation based rather than directly mm-hmm. measured, I would be really interested to see if there are any validation studies of uh, G's or uh, a spring constant, the leg spring stiffness, as you mentioned, where, where, yeah. how, how accurate it really is. I mean, I'm sure that the, it, they might correlate well with mm-hmm. an actual spring constant or an actual G, but but are they are the magnitudes the same? Are the changes in magnitude uh, the same uh, th- that's just kind of thing that i'm still a bit on the fence of but it's been a while since i looked whether there are any yeah. validation studies so that's why i shouldn't say for sure yeah definitely uh when it comes to interval interval uh variability and from athlete to athlete but definitely within your you know within a singular athlete they, it is a powerful metric hmm. how would uh, so so would you you, you mentioned there looking at at fatiguing uh, so reducing mm-hmm. is that the main use case or are there other use cases as well um i there's definitely other use cases um but for me personally i use it more for a uh a fatiguing aspect to see okay i have you train let's say you're training for your 10 miler and so this is your first 10 miler but we've gotten you up to five miles but then we can start seeing okay things start falling apart after five and a half miles and then we train and train over six months. We've definitely gotten you up to the 10 miles, but your form starts to fall, let's say at seven, you know, at seven miles, we can start use, seeing those divergence in those, some of those metrics, even though let's say your heart rate and your power is still the same. Right. But then we're starting to see changes in your form with these uh, indirect, we're indirectly seeing changes in your form with these metrics. And so understanding the basic concepts of these metrics you can start discerning what's going on with your running mechanics. Mm. Uh, and moving back from these uh, more advanced metrics to the mm-hmm. more back to basics to, to using power, uh, what are the mm-hmm. benefits of using running power uh, compared to speed, for example? Uh, it, it's great for pacing over rolling terrain. Uh, that's one of the, the first things I noticed about it when I uh when I started using running with power and coaching with it, um, I'll admit I was like, um, was like you, it took me a long time to get on board with running with power. It took me several years, but, and first of all, I was trying to understand how the, uh, how the power meter works, uh, and understanding that, okay, it is force, you know, equals mass times acceleration. And then once I started putting that together, I started to understand how it calculated, but 
with a, a watt is a watt is a watt no matter where you go. And so I can hold 300 watts on a flat surface or I can hold 300 watts climbing up a hill, right? But that 300 watts going up a hill is a lot harder than it is 300 watts straight, right? Should it be the same if it's the same power? Same power, but it's a lot harder because uh, you're fighting gravity. All right, it's yeah, and you don't, yeah, you don't have the free kinematics. You don't have the free energy. Yeah. yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, and then so, and also, if you're going by speed, let's say 300 watts for you is a, you know, a seven-minute mile on that flat. Well, we don't really know. It's kind of hard to gauge what it is on a slope that's undulating, right? And yep. so having a watt, you know, that can help you with your pace. Even though you're slowing down on that hill, you still have a metric that you can help slow you down so you're not going into the red and burning matches and so forth. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I and I do mm-hmm. use running power, so and I've been yeah. using for a long time. So <laughs> it's not that yeah. I'm, it's not that I'm against it, but uh, yeah. but I, I think Sorry, I, I think, missed, I, think yeah, I think there are some still some things that yeah. that shouldn't be trusted blindly. Like it, it is still, as you said, exactly. a bit proprietary mm-hmm. and a bit of a black box. And uh, yeah, yeah, there are some things there that that I think uh, we just need need a bit more validation uh, mm-hmm. around. Yeah, agreed. Uh, what about uh, running economy or efficiency? Can that be deduced somehow with running power? That's something that we see some talk about, and again, a bit, I, I guess, uh, controversial. Yeah, yeah. So running efficiency is not a thing. Um, I'll say that right now. It, it's it's running economy. So running economy is the efficiency of how you utilize oxygen, and so that's where it kind of gets mismatched. Uh, but it is a running economy, and so how well your biomechanics are, how well um, your muscles contract and stuff like that, your breathing rate, how hard you're working, all that ropes into um, ru- your, your running economy. And that's the one of the good things that I like about running with power, even with cycling with power and swimming with power, is you can get some of these advanced metrics. And with, um, with running power meter, you get your, you know, you get your basic, you get your power, you get your stride rate, you get your cadence, uh, your stride length, but you also get vertical oscillation, horizontal oscillation, um, LSS, you know, le- you know, leg spring stiffness. You get a myriad of different um, metrics, and we talk about this in the book. We uh, we devote an entire chapter with case studies on breaking down these different metrics and what they mean, and how they can apply to different components of your of your running gait, and how that can help improve your uh, running economy. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, just, uh, to go back to the running economy and mm-hmm. the unit, uh, just for listeners, milliliters of oxygen per kilogram body weight per kilometer is the commonly used, mm-hmm. uh, used way to measure it, uh, in terms of units. Um, and then are there situations or in what situations do you, uh, use running power as a primary metric in what situations might you not use it and use something different like heart rate or pace or RPE even? <laughs> Yeah, so it goes back to your original question in cycling, right? You know, when when is a good way to put away the power meter or cover it up? Um, I I do like to primarily train with power uh, because again, it gives a consistent metric no matter the type of terrain. Um, unless you live in Panama City, like I used to, <laughs> where it's pancake flat, um, your your pace is going to change, and that could be very difficult um, to to really kind of work out. Yeah. And yeah, we can estimate normalized pace, uh, stuff like that can that can help with that. Um, but I do like to use wattage because it is a consistent measurement, uh, no matter the type of terrain. But there's a lot to be said to you know again putting away you know covering up you know or just changing the data screen, you know just keep it on your timer and just go, um, and then look at the data later. So you can understand how your body feels at certain intensities. Uh, you come become a little more uh, in tune with it. Um, and there's a lot to be said to even still training with pace, you know, pace is still a par- very powerful metric, but again, you know, it's not as susceptible to stuff like heart rate is, but it is still susceptible to train changes to wind, um, you know, blow, you know, the wind at your back versus to your front, <laughs> that's going to make, that's going to make a big difference. Um, you know, little so little things like that. So just take into account with you know looking at the environment, uh, your goals and stuff like that. 
And sometimes it's just as good just to leave it all off and go on your Sunday run. You know, have a little fun. Just make sure uh, you bring the proper nutrition. Yep. Uh, final question on running power. Uh, how, mm-hmm. Any any more recommendations or advice uh, for uh, implementing it in your in your program? And any anything specific that you want to highlight? Yeah, with I mean, before instituting any type of technology, do your research on it, right? Um, because we have so many wearables out there. Does it really do what it says it does? Um, will implementing that technology help your running? Will will it help your training program? You know, that's the first piece of advice that I have with all my clients. Um, great news is, you know, Run Scribe and Stride are very well validated um, and will help with any program. Um, and I I gander say the the Garmin power meter is as well i've just never played with it so i don't know with it Hmm. got it uh now let's move on to a a couple of general questions uh Mm -hmm. just around coaching and uh, the first one is uh just uh any uh any advice uh, not necessarily ready to training with power but your top three tips for age group triathletes or endurance athletes that want to improve their performance yeah i mean first off do your needs analysis you know you know, be, do an honest assessment of yourself in the sport, right? Um, identify, first identify your goals. Are they attainable, tangible, and realistic, right? Yeah. And for example, like I want to go with, I want to go win Ironman in six months. Eh, probably not going to happen. Probably not even happen in two years. So, but, I, and again, do you have the time to do that training, right? It's just being able to do that understanding. Are your goals can you, are you setting too high of a goal for yourself? You want to set a goal that's challenging, but still more often than not achievable. That's the first thing. Second is do your injury analysis. You know, are you susceptible to certain types of injuries? Do you have muscular imbalances? Um, like for me, I've had four knee surgeries on my left knee, three ACL reconstructions, probably doing a full Ironman trying to win. It's probably not the best idea. (laughs) So little things like that. And then go into doing your field testing and, you know, and just do some basic testing to understand your strengths and limiters within all three sports and tailor your program around what you've learned through your needs analysis. And that'll set you, you know, you'll, you'll be steps ahead of your opponents just by doing just a quick analysis following those three, three basic categories. Right. I really like that uh, the injury analysis. That's uh, something mm-hmm. that uh, hasn't really been mentioned as a specific sort of. Yeah, this is something that you mm-hmm. you should do, and 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 I think that that's super important mm-hmm. uh, for for many different reasons. But a lot of people, even if they haven't mm-hmm. uh, don't have a background in endurance sports necessarily, they might have a team sports background or a resistance training background, and they uh, they know they might have a certain propensity to injuries through through that. And then it's really mm-hmm. important to be able to take that into account when it comes to for example yeah. uh well planning how, how much you should run uh, is is a major one but of yeah. course depending on your injuries it could just as well be related to your swim and your cycling training even though the the run yeah. is the, the most common one to to cause injuries so that's uh that's one that i think is yeah re- really good uh tip to uh to do when you when you start a new program or you change your yeah. program or just get into the sport for the first time uh, yeah. next and then the second sorry okay. and then the second one I would like to throw in there is so you do all you do your needs now. Second is program recovery. Don't embrace recovery days. Embrace recovery weeks. Um, so much a drop on we just go go go. Um, but it's those recovery days and those recovery weeks is where you make your gains. The body has to recover from all the work that you've been doing. So if you're doing you know if you're doing speed work for two weeks, well you're not going to get any better unless you let the body recover from that work that you've done. And so that's the other thing I would say to, um, to our audience. Excellent. And, uh, next, what would you tell yourself, uh, from 10 years ago, uh, if you could go back to, to yourself and as a coach, coach to the, to a slightly younger coach, you wrote a book. <laughs> that's the first thing I would say. No, um, it's, have confidence in yourself it's you know um don't be afraid of failure um i remember my first clients i was afraid to 
you know, give them bad advice. Um, but it's, you know, this area is so much, there's so much education, so much experience with it, but there's just as much uh, failure and trial and error because my physiology is different than your physiology versus, you know, Hunter's physiology, right? Um, we all react different to different training paradigms. And so being a coach, you know, no different paradigms, increase your toolbox. And so what you think may work for you, you know what? You could be wrong based off your needs analysis. Your approach may be wrong. Adjust with it. That's fine. Um, and just you know, be upfront with the client. Say, hey, you know what? What I thought was wrong. I want to try this based on X, what I'm seeing with X, Y, and Z. Hmm. And uh, what's one thing within coaching uh, or endurance training that you are currently learning about, curious about, or fascinated by, and why? Oh, wow. Um, actually, glucose monitors. Um, the advent of Super Sapiens on the market and soon to be Cygnos. Um, the con- the, uh, so constant glucose monitoring or CGMs, um, for the, those who don't know it, uh, those have been on the market for the longest time for uh, glucose monitoring for those who have type 1, type 2 diabetes. Now there's a lot more. Now it's being application to human performance. And so uh, Super Sapiens is the first company uh, to – utilize a CGM for human performance purposes. Cygnos is now coming through and utilizing it for some human performance, but also weight loss as well. And so understanding how you react to dirt, certain foods, um, certain gels, you know, the different spikes in there versus a constant flow. For, so for example, goo will give me a huge spike. You can gives me a small little spike. Same way it does the new uh, CIS uh, beta fuel uh, drink mix. So understanding how you react to certain things really can help tailor your nutrition a lot more. Mm. And so trying to play with that and understand how it works with them, because again, it's like swimming power. It's such a new area with an advent of this technology. It's very interesting. Yeah, I'm right with you there. I think it's uh, it's very interesting and and actually something that I'm I'm looking to get some experts on to do a specific episode around uh, around mm-hmm. that. I think there are many many questions to be answered, uh, but uh, potentially some interesting use cases with continuous blood glucose monitoring. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely a fascinating uh, era uh, or a- area of um, mm-hmm. of endurance sports uh, performance uh, analysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, finally, let's, uh, just mentioned where, where can listeners find your book? What's the name of it again? And, uh, when will it yeah. be released? It will probably be out when, by the time they hear this episode. So, yeah. So, uh, the book is trial triathlon training with power. Um, it's again, written by, uh, myself and, uh, you know, Hunter Allen and it's through our pub, uh, through the publisher, uh, Cognella publishing. Great. And I'm sure it can be found on Amazon and, and all of those. Major- it will be. Yeah. yeah um, event, it'll be on Amazon uh, three to four weeks after the September 20th release date. All right. So yeah. they could go directly to uh, Canela, Cagnella's website to um, to order the book. Okay. So we'll have a link for that in, in the mm-hmm. episode show notes. Uh, and uh, what's next? Next, now that the book is wrapped up, uh, anything, any other exciting projects? Um, well, yeah, definitely work, spend time with my family. My son, my son's getting a little bit older. He's fun, um, getting involved with soccer. Um, so learn, uh, I've never been very good at soccer, so I have to get a little bit better at that. Um, and then, yeah, who knows? Um, been thinking of possibly writing another book, who knows, maybe down the road, but right now just spend time with family, enjoying time with my clients and, Trying to get back to some of the racing out here in Europe. Yeah, just be careful. Careful with that ACL when it comes to to the soccer. Some uh, orthopedic doctors yeah. would argue that soccer is not a sport; it's a knee syndrome. <laughs> I love I'm, it. I'm, I'm saying that as somebody who played soccer as my main sport for yep. 13 years or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, well, uh, this has been great, uh, Chris. Uh, do you, do you have any social media to, uh, by the way, where listeners can follow you or website? Yeah, so um, I'm on uh, Facebook. Uh, you just uh, look up uh, Pe- uh, Peaks Coach Myers uh, on Facebook and uh, PCG Myers on Twitter and Instagram. All right, great. We'll put that in show notes as well. Thank you so much, Chris. Talk to you later. Yeah, you too. Cheers. 
I hope that you enjoyed that interview with Chris. As I said at the start of the episode, if you listen when this episode comes out, the book Triathlon Training with Power is available on pre-order for a few more days. I'll have a link to that in the show notes and episode description. But if you listen from the 1st of October 2021 and onward, it should be readily available. So you can get it whenever you want. As always, you can find the show notes for the episode on scientifictriathlon.com, where in addition to the links to the book, you can find a link to Chris' previous appearance on that triathlon show, which was back in episode 112, and we discussed periodization in that one. I want to remind you once again of the Scientific Triathlon Training Camp coming up in 2022. The camp will take place on sunny Mallorca from the 26th of March to the 2nd of April. Mallorca is a cycling paradise as well as fantastic for open water swimming and running, everything you can think of really. We will have access to great facilities and we will have plenty of coaches. The ratio of participants to coaches will be such that you can always get advice and feedback and get plenty of learning and education out of the camp beyond just training. Us coaches will help you individualize the training that you do during the camp so that it's appropriate for the base you're coming in with and the goals you have uh, for the season. And uh, there's plenty more that I could go into, but I'll just uh, direct you to scientifictriathlon.com for slash camp. Check out all the information that we have on there about the training camp. And if you want even further information, feel free to email me, michael at scientifictriathlon.com. And if you're interested in the camp, uh, you should pre-register or register your interest which you do on that same training camp page scientifictriathlon.com forward slash camp and uh, then i'll send further instructions from there finally big thanks to our sponsor precision hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com check out their free resources such as the free online sweat test the quick carb calculator and the ability to book a free consultation with one of their experts. You can get 15% off your Precision Hydration order with the promo code DATTRIATHLONSHOW15. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, prescription glasses, and sunglasses, and get 20% off your order with the promo code that you can get on roka.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving craft long.